Thank you for joining us today. We believe that the word of God is designed to make a mark in your life that is not easily erased. And right now, God is sharing to us about relationships and how our relationships should not be easily broken. I believe this word of God is going to do just that. Strengthen your relationships so they're not easily broken and you can move forward with a group of people that are supporting what God has for your life. Enjoy the message. Look, look at your neighbor next to you and say, neighbor, neighbor. Welcome, welcome to my overflow. To my overflow. Look at the neighbor on the other side and say, neighbor, neighbor. Welcome, welcome to my overflow. My overflow. Oh, man. Oh, amen. You know, from, from, this, from this day forward, oh, man, you go, when people call you in the, in the morning, you can answer the phone, you can be like, hello, overflow. When you, when, you, when you wake up in the morning and you see your husband and you see your wife, you can say, hello, overflow. Yeah. When you see your kids, they run into the room, you can say, hello, overflow. Yeah. When you see your, your bosses, your nieces, and your nephews, you can say, hey, overflow. Yeah. Like, my name ain't overflow. I know I'm just calling you as you are in my life. My overflow. You are my overflow. You know, when you talk about, and I ask God, I said, God, where do, you, where do you want me to start with this? Oh, man, there's, there's an area of relationships that I believe, and I believe God agrees, because he's allowed me to speak on it this morning, that if we don't get control of it, and if we don't have a handle on it, Oh, it is designed to, to just cause destruction on levels that God never intended for us to have. That area is expectations. Nothing can crumble a relationship more than continuous missed expectations. And it's like... I was ready, I was ready, I was geared up to do this again, try this again, and then here we are again. I was prepared, I was with you, we was going to do this, but here we are again. Some people even switch up people, and there they are again, in the same place, the same empty state, the same lost state, the same broken state, the same just hurt, the same pain, and it's like, what can fix this? What can make sure this never happens again? It's like every time I put my expectations out there, they just come back void. Well, I believe God is not only set up today as a day of us learning something, but, uh, but him healing something. So turn with you will to John 18 and 4. I'm going to be reading in the New King James Version. Starts off, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that will come upon him, went forward and said to them, whom are you seeking? And this, of course, is a, is a moment where Jesus is in the, the, the final moments of his assignment, and he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in this garden, you know, the, the, the guards of the city are coming to arrest him at this point, but he's there with his disciples. And so that's who's asking the questions, the people who are coming to, to, to arrest Jesus. He said, whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who portrayed him, also stood with them. Now, when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Verse 7, then he asked them again, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, have, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Of those whom you gave me, I lost none. What's, 
awesome here is it's clearly you can tell by just the dialogue there that Jesus is not trying to run from anything at this moment. You know, if he wanted to run, when they asked who and where is Jesus, he could easily say, I don't know. Or when they asked several times, he could have just said, you know what? If they can't recognize me by seeing me, then maybe they don't know it's me. I'm not Jesus. But clearly he has no problem here with letting them know that they have found him. You've been looking for me. You found me. Looking for Jesus. I'm Jesus. You show. Yes, I, I am he. What else do you want to know? You was looking for me. You found me. Verse 10. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? What's awesome about this and, and, and what God wants to pull out of this today is, you know, Peter's here for this whole conversation. He's here for the whole conversation. And just by listening, you could tell that at this point, Jesus is letting them know that, hey, I'm here. Who you came for, you found him. But it, Peter is on a different page. Peter's like, nah, y'all ain't going to take him that easy. Peter's pulled out his sword. He's cutting. And Jesus is like, hold up, Peter. Put the sword away. Put it away. You shouldn't be surprised by what's happening here. I'm not surprised. I'm clearly ready for whatever's supposed to happen next because I'm letting it happen. Why are you trying to stop what needs to happen? And so basically right now you have Peter and Jesus seeing the same situation different ways. I'm of the opinion if you really wanted to defend Jesus, you probably been like Miss Margaret. You would have been cutting and slashing before they even said a word. <laughs> like Peter, if you was really about this life of defending Jesus, you would have you would have you slashed Judas. You would have slashed everybody. But clearly, you, you, just, you just don't know what to do right now. You, you don't have the right expectation of what's occurring. Because I'm telling you something. Peter should not have been surprised. Peter should not have been surprised. Why is that, Pastor? Turn with me to Matthew 16 and verse 13. Because that's really a very accurate picture of some of the relationships we have today. One person's ready to go, the next person's slashing. We just thinking different things, although we've been walking together. Like, I, I, like, Peter, put it away. Shall I not drink the cup that's been prepared? Matthew 16 and 13, I'm reading the New King James Version. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I? Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are Christ, the son of the living God. Now, this is an important thing to know here because of all the disciples, Peter's the one who had the revelation of who Jesus was. So he knew who Jesus was. He knew that Jesus was the son of God sent to save all mankind. He knew it. Of all the disciples, Peter should know Jesus. Verse 17, Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Like, man, that's only something you could have known about me through revelation from God. 
Sounds exciting. Sounds like the beginning of a lot of our racial relationships. Oh, hey, man. I just met you, but what you said, you could have only have known if God himself told you. The only person in this world that knows that I like a little bit of mayonnaise on my peanut butter and jelly sandwich is Jesus himself. The fact that you know that you have been revealed unto me. Nobody else. Nobody else has witnessed the mayonnaise go on the peanut butter and jelly sandwich but God above. But you know, ooh, flesh and blood couldn't have told you this. Only Jesus. Only. And I say unto you that you are Peter and on this rock. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth, it will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth, it will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus Christ. Verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show show to his disciples that He must go to Jerusalem. Look what he's saying here. Jesus began to show to them, he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. What do we learn here in verse 21? Jesus told them some things were going to come. Amen. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not, look at this word, mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. I want to take a little break here as we're going through this because let me tell you something about how dangerous sidebar conversations are. Sidebar conversations are one of the most deadliest things that you can allow in a relationship. Some people's like, well, man, how did, how did Jesus recognize, I mean, it was Peter just earlier who was, it was revealed unto him that this was the son of Christ. How does a couple moments later, he's now being rebuked for operating under the influence of Satan? How is that? You want to know what it is? It's the origin of the words. Only God can activate an agape love. What's an agape love? It's a sacrificial love. Only the Spirit of God can recognize an agape love. The flesh of men can always recognize an eros type of love. What is he saying? In that moment, Peter's like, man, all this sounds bad because I'm going to be missing something of my flesh. And many times when people take you off into sidebar conversations, It's not because they're trying to activate something of your spirit. They're trying to activate something of your flesh. They're trying to activate a type of love that actually can't be recognized by God. It's a love of the mind, not of the spirit. And they try to get you alone to say, hey, you know what? I know we all just was all together in a group meeting, and and Jesus said this was revealed unto you, and you got something special. But, man, ain't you going to miss him? And they start to say little things, drop in little nuggets that are activating your flesh. And sometimes it sounds good to the flesh. Because we have to understand the type of love that God wants us to walk in, which is an agape love. It can't be activated by our minds. It can't. Why can't it? Because our minds hate sacrifice. 
it's, it's like a conflict. You tell me I'm going to have to lose something to, 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 to sow this, this seed of love? It's a hard, it's a conflict in thought. Because truth is, only the Spirit of God can recognize and produce a sacrificial agape love. And so we have to make sure that when people pull you off on a sidebar, they just, you know, after the meeting, meeting. Y'all know them after the meeting, meetings? <laughs> or after you talk to your loved one, or after you talk to your husband and wife, you had that other conversation. Those people, you have to make sure that the words that are coming out of their, lot, of their mouth aren't activating a flesh-led love, but a sacrificial love. Another thing we can notice about that, and I've had him put up a, a little chart here, it says, as you can see, a golf bay love always contains a what, a where, a who, and a sacrificial why. Jesus was describing that the what was a death and a resurrection. The where was Jerusalem. The who is me. And the sacrificial why is so that none can perish. And so when we're evaluating, when, when, when things are being presented to us and we're trying to, and we're going between, man, you know, because it's, it's, it's hard sometimes for us to, in our mind, recognize when God's calling us to an agape type of love. But agape type of love will always contain these things. There will always be these things connected to it. Go with me to Matthew 17 and verse 14. says, and when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers, and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. I'm going to jump down to verse 22 because, of course, this is the moment where Jesus lets no man Y'all couldn't get this done because this type only comes out with fasting and praying. But at the end of that account of verse 22, here goes Jesus again. Now, while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. Verse 23, and they will kill him. And the third day he will be raised up. And look where they were. And they were exceedingly sorrow. Now, this is the second time that Jesus is letting them know that I'm going to be arrested. He already told them it's going to happen in Jerusalem. He already told them that, look, they're going to kill me. But every time he makes sure to let them know that I'm going to be raised up. So Jesus is letting them know what's going to happen. Jesus is setting an expectation of what should occur. And they're like, okay, we walking. We understand. We, we, we receiving what you're saying, although it makes us feel exceedingly sorrow. It makes us feel sorrow. Because truth is, agape love doesn't always fulfill emotional expectations of others. Although they felt sorrowful about what he was describing, their emotions did not change what Jesus had to do. Because agape love, the type of love that's sacrificial, the type of love that, 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 is, that God wants us to operate in goes beyond people's emotions. And a lot of times we allow people's emotions 
to dictate how we express love. But the type of love that God calls us into won't always fulfill emotional holes. Y'all tracking with me? Go with me to Matthew 20 and 17. Reading New King James Version again. Now Jesus, look at this, going up to where? All right, so at this point, I done told y'all I'm going to Jerusalem. I done told y'all what's going to happen in Jerusalem. I done told y'all that this must happen. So as we're walking up to Jerusalem, some type of flag should be going off, right? Now Jesus going up to Jerusalem took the 12 disciples aside on the road and said to them, behold, man, Jesus was a thorough leader. Just think of how thorough Jesus is at this point. This is the third time before it happens that he's letting them know that something's about to happen. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be betrayed. To who? The chief priest who showed up in the garden. The servant of the chief priest. And to the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. But guess what? And on the third day, he will rise again. Now, some people might be saying this moment, well, Peter could have been a little confused because, you know, Jesus is talking to third person. The problem with that is Peter's the only one who had a revelation of who he is. So there is no way at this point Peter should be confused in the proceedings that are taking place. Words have described this whole scene before it ever happened. Down to the details. Look, this is what's going to happen, y'all. We're going to go to Jerusalem. Now we walk in there now. When we get there, I'm going to be betrayed. Sounds like a Judas. Then the chief priest is going to come and get me. Then they're going to say some things about me that just really aren't true. Then they're going to go and they're going to crucify me. But all that's okay. All that's okay. All that's okay because on the third day, I'm going to rise again. And that's good news. That's good news because that's the cup that I have been given. It's the cup that I'm supposed to act on. It's the cup in which the Father has prepared for me. And who am I not to drink of the cup that the Father has prepared for me? This whole time I've been telling you what's going to happen. After we do this, I tell you, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to crucify me. After we do this, I told you I'm going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to crucify me. I told you after that, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to crucify me. So when Jesus gets to the moment where his words now have to be represented by action. It's not time to walk away. Because I've been talking about a love that I have and that God has for people. I've been walking around healing people. I've been calling out the scribes. I've been calling out the Pharisees. I've been, I've been doing all types. I've been going into churches. I've been turning stuff over. I've been doing all of this. I've been making this whole framework of how awesome God's love is for you. I came from heaven to earth to let you know that God loves you so 
much. But at the end of the day, if I don't die and rise again, none of it will be fulfilled. And all you have is a bunch of missed expectations. What am I saying, Pastor Brian? What we have to realize is that every time words come out of our mouth, we're building framework of what people can expect from us. But there comes a moment where words no longer matter. If there aren't actions to fulfill what the words have described, people will be left empty. Imagine us walking around today saying, you know, he would have did it, though. I mean, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure he would have did it, you know what I'm saying? He talked about how much he loved us. I mean, he even healed some people. I mean, he, he went and, and set some things straight, and people be like, oh, okay, so yeah, so he, he died for us? No, he didn't exactly go through with the death part. But I know he would have, based on the things that he did before. People would look at you and say, I don't, I don't, it's, this, it, it's just hard to give my life over to, 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 to what you're saying because although I believe like you believe that he, he would do it and he might do it, at the end of the day, he didn't do it. And when we begin relationships and the words come out of our mouth describing things and, and shaping things, what we have to realize is there's going to come a moment where the sacrificial love of God who's living inside of us is going to have to go to action. Many people are losing relationships and relationships are staying broken and relationships are being broken simply because words prepare the atmosphere for action to take place. But we tried to fulfill that action with the man's viewpoint of what love is. I'll tell you something about man's viewpoint of love. It will have you thinking that something bad is going to happen even though it's all for your good. Man's way of thinking would say, come to the side, Jesus. I don't think this should happen. And Jesus, you're going to have to tell him, no, no, there comes a point. You don't understand. I've been telling this person for years of what I could do. Now, it's, it's come to the moment to where I have to act on what I've said. I understand that there's things that would make sense in my flesh as to why they should continue just trusting the expectations I'm setting. And I know the sacrifice to fulfill the words that I've said is a great sacrifice, but you got to understand God's love is sacrificial. And I've been called to walk in the agape of love which is a sacrificial love. So yeah, the expectations are high, but the truth is they're only high because I've been saying a lot of stuff for a long time. Truth is your words have the power to shape realities that only the agape love that comes from God can fill. But I understand. Many of us, myself included, in different relationships, 
sitting here like, oh, man, I get what you're saying, Pastor. I heard every word you said. And I did, and I talked up a good game. And man, what I talked up, I wasn't able to fulfill. Not that I didn't want to. Not that I didn't try to. But I just couldn't do it. I talked up something so great that, man, three of me couldn't do it. I mean, I told this woman, if she marries me, she's going to have vacations in Bali for the rest of her life. Now, we've been married for 10 years, and we ain't been to Bali yet. <laughs> so I'm not sure, Pastor, how I can fix those expectations. I mean, I told her that on our 10-year anniversary, I was going to buy her this new diamond ring. Because I thought 10 years was a long time from now. 10 years got here really fast. And it's not that I wouldn't buy the ring if I had the money. But man, it happened so quick, I didn't even realize when it was coming. I just said some things out of the goodness of my mind's expectation of things to happen. And even if I sold everything I had or did everything I could and spent all the time I have left trying to fulfill what my words have created, the problem is I would still come up short. I still would. I'm telling you what I'm going to do today, though. From now on, I'm going to realize what my power, what my words create. I'm going to realize that my words aren't setting expectations that are going to require a sacrificial type of love for it to be maintained. I realize that now, Pastor. But in these seats and right now in this sanctuary, we ain't seeing eye to eye because I ain't noticed it today. Term it, if you will. To 1 Corinthians 13 in verse 1. Because truth is, love sets the highest standards of someone's expectation. And I was thinking about the other day when, as cute as it sounds, when people see my daughter and they leave, and I tell them, I say, Amber, tell them you love them. I said, just tell me you love him, because it's cute. Sounds good. Tell me you love him. And she'd be like, love you. And everybody's like, before you, before you leave grandma's house, go in there, give her a hug, tell her you love her. Love you, grandma. Oh, you're so sweet, Amber. We love you. And culture has developed over time to throw out a word so smoothly that sets the highest expectations of a person's actions. Love sets an expectation for people to do things outside of their own ability. And so it is so hard when we have thrown the word out so much and then we all at some point myself included, at some point throw an expectation of the love you've been talking about in front of your face. And you're like, yo, I love you, but now that I can identify the source in which you want your love channeled, I don't know if I would have used that word up front. I said I loved you, but when you called me and asked me for your rent money this week, I didn't know that you was transferring that love to your rent money. So I hate to tell you this, brother, there's about to be some mis-expectations. Because I use some words to describe something that truthfully only God can fulfill.
1 Corinthians 13. Oh, it's already up here. Y'all come on up here. Y'all know I was going to break this down. I ain't going to leave you here without breaking this down. New King James Version says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. What is Paul painting a picture of? Paul's painting a picture of a love that people have read about and they expect of believers when they say, I love you. Verse four, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It does not puff, it is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Verse 8, love never fails. But wherever there are prophecies, they will fail. Wherever there are tongues, they will cease. Wherever there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Today, we're going to put away childish things. Look at your neighbor and say, today, today we're going to put away childish things. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but when face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am. Verse 13, and now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of them all is love. What I came here to say today, y'all read it. Love sets the highest expectation that you can have of any individual. The problem with this is nobody in this room is perfect. Nobody in this room is perfect. There was only one man one man that could walk in perfect love. And many of us, let's raise your hands. Many of us have placed what only God could fill in the hands of people who are merely trying to seek his face. Truth is, I should have never put that type of pressure on you. The truth is, I should have never put those expectations on you. The truth is, the moment the words came out of your mouth, I knew they were beyond your ability and that you were going to have to trust in a source of supply. And I forgive you for ever thinking that you could supply what God told me only he could do. Now, I forgive you. Because I misplaced expectations. I misplaced my focus. I, I, I put what God was supposed to bribe for me onto you. 
the type of love that I need. It never gives up. It never fails. It never quits. It never stops believing. And the fact of the matter is no human person can display that. That's why we all needed a savior. And I forgive you because I thought you and I put you in the place of my savior. And I should have never put you there. I should have never held you to that standard. There's only one man that had the power and the willingness to execute for what that love calls for. Father, purify our hearts, purify our minds. Reset us back to you as our only affection. You as our only source. Remove every expectation we've placed on man to fulfill what only God can do. Baby, I love you, but you just overflow. I'm already full. I apologize for making you seem as though you had to be my feeling. That type of pressure, that type of expectation can only crush people. You guys put your hands there. There are real life stories of people in this church who in the expectation that that word love placed on their lives came to them, it drugged them to committing crimes. I'm talking about people who love God, who are pursuing God, who, who you just wanted to seek his face. But when people applied the type of love to them that only God could supply, it caused them to do things irrationally. Why? Because the pressure you can put on a person that you've applied uh, the type of love only God can provide, it can break them down. And we got to stop doing that. I saw your voice cracking when you were saying, baby, hold the words. I know you want to, and it would be great if you did but you're about to frame something with your words that you shouldn't right now. Me and you both believe in the same way, and God is our source. Oh, man, don't y'all look so, y'all are so ready for this, aren't y'all? <laughs> you guys can move this podium. I don't think people can see through this podium. about this. Y'all four and go stand right over there. Gregory, you can stay. One was supposed to stay. Gregory, you can stay. Grab the oars, man. Grab the oars. Grab the oars. Just start rowing, man. You just out here in life <laughs> enjoying yourself Scoot back a little bit. Just enjoying life, enjoying yourself. Just rowing them boats, rowing them boats. But you got a little older, maybe about, you know, 12. Well, I'm telling that. You got 22. <laughs> and you got you a friend. Come on over, man. When you got this friend, he just had you excited about things, excited about life. You was having fun with him. So since you was having fun, you, de you decided to give him the oars and sit in the boat. You can start rowing, Antoine. Roll with both of them. <laughs> you was enjoying yourself, having fun in life. You met Antoine. Y'all kicked it off good. Things were great. You was having fun with him. So you decided to give him the rose to the boat. And decided him and what he does to dictate the enjoyment you have now. 
But then, you know, you and Antoine had a fallout. Come on, Riley. You can come on out, Antoine. So you had a fallout. You kicked him out your boat. <laughs> Going over to Antoine. And you met a new friend. So it was all right. Go with both of them, Riley. You met you a new friend. Over there, man, you out. You out. When people done with you, they through with you. Got you a new friend. But this friend, you know, he's a little different than the other one. He brings peace to your life. And so he's just rowing, but he's conducting the peace that you live in, you know, because you guys have a great time. But then one day, you and him even fall out. Riley, you out too, man. You out. You out. What's your name? Michael. Come on, Michael. See, you meet Michael. Michael's a cool dude. You and Michael like going to movies. You went swimming with Riley, but you and Michael go to the movies. And going to the movies, it just, it does something with that person of you that likes to be adventurous. And so he's just, you know, rowing your boat, dictating how you experience life. But then you realize, you know what? It's actually a little better. Send me Riley. Send me Antoine. Both of y'all come on over. You realize something. My boat's kind of big. I can handle people. So y'all all climbing the boat. Get in the boat. Get in the boat. So when you want to go swimming, you give Antoine the rose. Because swimming gets that adventurous side of you, the part of you that likes to be athletic. But when you don't want to go swimming, you get Riley the Rose, and y'all do something else that brings you peace. Y'all go to the library. But when you get tired of going to the library, you go, and you give your rose to Michael, right? To Michael, and you back to, what did you do with Michael? Movies. So now you're back here. So whenever... You're ready to fulfill some area of your life in which you have described love to exist. You just go to the person in which you get that from. But then you realize over time that people will eventually fail on you. And you got tired of the inconsistencies of passing stuff around. So... You heard of a man named Jesus, and you gave your life to him because you were tired of there being gaps in your life. Come on, Jesus. <laughs> but the thing is, When you met Jesus, you did something that a lot of us have done, but we can never do again. We just added him to our boat. And so you go to the pool, you go to the movies, what you do with Antoine? Swimming, movies, library. But every once in a while, you like to go to church. And you, so you give Jesus the rose when you go to church. But whenever you leave church and you want to be, go to the library and be fulfilled because you like peace, you just give him the rose. Because you didn't really you need Jesus for peace because you already had peace, right? And so when you met Jesus, you allowed him to fulfill the missing parts because you thought all the other parts were stable. But you learned something. Man, I'm tired of still 
Pastor Rose. So I'm going to get serious about God. Get serious about God. Riley, you can get out. Michael, you can get out. Antoine, you can get out. to the front. You decide to get serious about God so you develop a relationship with your pastor. And unfortunately, this has been some of our greatest pains. We met Jesus, came to church, we met a pastor, man of God, woman of God, we divided them into our boat. And we let them steer. But then, just like other times, something happens. Because, see, I thought this time I was good because it was the pastor, it was the deacon. It was the head of the usher board. And I thought that just doing that would help bring stability to my life. But then one day they did something, and my whole view of God, church, people, it just changed. So I kicked them out of my boat, too. I feel alone because I've placed expectation time and time and time again. People and things and places Because the truth is, I never did what I was supposed to do in the beginning. It was the day I met Jesus. That's you. I was supposed to give him the rose to the boat. You get on in. And allow the expectations he has for my life to guide me into all that I need. Yeah. Come on, movies. Come on, pool. Come on, library. Y'all can all get back in the boat. I know it's tight, but guess who ain't leaving? Jesus. See, I, I can bring y'all with me, but I can never let y'all Direct me. I can't put the expectations that this life was designed to fulfill on any of y'all. Because just as antsy as y'all are right now, that's how people are. And if we ever want to get to the place to where we're not so easily broken, we can never put the oars in anyone else's hands. I, I love you and I understand you want to go to the pool, but you called me. And we didn't go. But that's cool because Jesus is still in my boat. 
man, we were supposed to go to the library. You done called out on me 50 times. But that's okay. Jesus is still steering my boat. All of you guys and all that you can do is truly overflow in my life. Because the expectations that love demands, there's only one man that can ever fill them. You guys can go now. Pastor Brian. I get what you're saying. And honestly, the point was cute and the kids were cute. But it it sounds like you're saying that I could let anything happen to me and just be okay with it. Should I I be okay with the fact that they told me time and time again of what they were going to do? Should I just be like, you know what? It's okay, I got Jesus and just live in a situation that is causing abuse to my mind, abuse to my emotions. I mean, aren't I supposed to trust people? Aren't I supposed to be able to expect something when they say they love me? All those things are true, and yes. Turn me to Philippians 3 and 12. Because it's not that I shouldn't have expectations. It's not that I shouldn't expect to be able to trust you. It's not that I shouldn't expect for you to deliver on the things that you said you were going to do. Oh, no, I should expect for you to deliver on the things that you said you were going to do. And I should be able to put my trust in the things that you said that you were going to do. You're my husband, you're my wife, you're my brother, you're my sister. All these things, I should be able to do it. I should. But what I can't move and what I can't change is in Philippians 3 and 12. Not that I have already attained Or am I already perfected? It's Paul talking about himself. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Jesus Christ has also laid hold of. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, any mature people in this church today? It's a mature mindset. It's a mature mindset. It's a mature mindset. But if you're talking about living amongst people who aren't perfect, if you're talking about being in a relationship with people who are aiming to be all that God has called them to be, 
If you're talking about dealing with the people we have to deal with every single day, you have to have a mature mind concerning the words that come out of their mouths. You have to take the words that come out of their mouth with the understanding that the only way you could ever pull that off is if you stay letting Jesus row your boat. Your flesh can't fulfill that. What you said, I know you, I know you would like to do it, but if your eyes aren't on Christ and pursuing him with all that you have, there's no way you're going to be able to make the sacrifice necessary that those words are calling for when they call for it. So I'm not asking you to obligate yourself to me. I'm asking you to obligate yourself to the same thing I should be obligated to. Which is pressing. I'm pressing, man. I'm pressing forward. Trying to achieve what only one man could do, which is walk in perfect love. So I'm asking you, yeah, sometimes that means you're going to have to forgive me. That means sometimes you're going to have to hear the words that come out of my mouth and recognize when they're way above what my hands can produce. And when I fall short, don't come to me. Talk about what I said and what I promised myself to do. Come to me and say, I know you're pressing, man. Keep on. Keep on. I understand that you're doing the same thing I'm trying to do. Trying to renew my mind daily to achieve something that only one man could ever do. But I want you to know that before we ever got started, before I ever walked down that aisle with you, it wasn't the first time I walked down an aisle. Secrets out the bag. Before I walked down that aisle and met you at the altar, I walked down that aisle and met Jesus at the altar. And when I got there, he promised me that the joy I needed, he would supply. That the confidence I needed, he would supply. He told me that the love I needed, he would supply. He told me that the trust that I wasn't able to give to anybody else, he would supply. I hate to tell you, but I know you thought that you were coming to complete something, but you was just invited to an overflow party. I, I love how you want to add joy to my life. I love how you add, want to add peace to my life. I love how you want to add love to my life, but understand, I'm already full of it. I'm already full. So, man, keep pressing. Keep pressing, man. Keep going after Christ. But don't ever think that you have to fill me. Because the moment that I start letting you fill me, I start letting you drive me. And when I let you take replacement of where my Savior is supposed to be, I'm hopeless from the beginning because there was only one man. And I know you think you the man and the woman. But Jesus already took his place. 
So we all just need to go home and tell your husbands, your wives, your brothers, your sisters, your nephews, just look them right in the face and say, the pressure's off. The pressure's off. Welcome to my overflow. Sometimes I go out to eat by myself, sit at the table, and Jesus just fills me up. Sometimes I drive in my car, just worshiping. He keeps filling me up. My heart, my affections on him. And I got to keep them lifted up. Some people, you don't understand the change that takes place when they realize there's no longer a gun pointed to their head. When they realize this, this isn't on the line. This, this, this isn't, this, this isn't, I, I, I'm dealing with a person who has forgiveness living on the inside of them. The amount of freedom that rushes in, the amount of liberty that rushes in. Our words are designed to bring the best out of people. It's all right, baby. I was full when you met me. when you met me. You guys can stand to your feet. Thank you for listening today. We believe that the word of God has the power to change our lives. And I just want you to know that we are praying for you. We're believing for you, for your relationships to be stronger than ever and be stable. This is the year of stability and we're believing God that everything we touch will be strengthened. 